All right, uh, we are starting a brand new series called A Little Bit of Wisdom, um, and before we jump into it, um, flip up, we're going to save the leg down for later, um, I just want to quickly touch base on a couple of things before I jump into the message. Um, this week leading up to Friday uh, would be the final week um, if you would like to apply or show any interest in the two fixed term roles that we're advertising. We had a bunch of people come forward, which is really cool, and we'll go through some interviews. Darcy is going on maternity leave, and we have two roles, both 20 hours, both fixed term for that six-month period, and then that employment would cease to exist. So if you've got six months and you want to give yourself to help and build the local church, there's nothing like it in the world. Um, we have our small groups and events coordinator. Um, working with our small group leaders to help train them and release them and equip them and a bit of admin around our events. And then the other role is um, overseeing our kids program. So TOTS, Sparks and Power Zone from primary school age downwards, um, just working with our current program leads to bring some extra strength and stability there in the season ahead. If any of that excites you, then come speak to me afterwards or there is a tab on our website somewhere about jobs. You can go find it. All right. If you're tech savvy, you'll figure it out. If you're not, come see me and we can chat about that. All right. Uh, let's pray, um, and then we're going to jump into a message I got for you this morning called, What Would Wisdom Say? Father God, I thank you um, that you're the source of our wisdom, that you're a good God who speaks to his people. We learned about that last week. God, let us have our hearts and minds open to what it is that you want to say to us today. God, we don't want to come in thinking we've got all the answers already, um, but we look to an infinite, personal, expansive God, and we pray, God, that you would speak to us a word in season today that makes sense, that equips us for our future ahead. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to start by sharing um, a, just a brief story that I'm, I'm very aware I've shared before. I may have even shared it twice. That's, that's the life of a preacher. That's what we do. Um, but I think it's important to share this just to sort of set the tone and the context for what it is that we're jumping into today. So I will keep it brief. But one of the most profound moments of my life was the day that I got in trouble with my dad as a 10-year-old. Um, I had gotten up to some sort of mischief, and he had given me a good old-fashioned backside correction. He sent me off to my room and I went storming the whole way, ugly crying, um, thinking I was really hard done by. He popped in a few moments later and had the nerve to suggest that I was upset because I had chosen to be upset. No, I told him, I'm upset because you have made me upset. Well, as he left the room and I sat there pondering on his words, I realized pretty quickly that in fact that statement was true. That I still, even in my upsetness, maintain the ability to stop myself crying, to put a smile on my face and to choose my response. It turns out this whole time I was actually in control. Well, my dad suddenly passed away in 2012 and I don't think he has any idea on how massive this moment of correction was for me. It is one of the most valuable things that I've ever learned in my life. As I look back on it, I don't think it was just knowledge, I think it was wisdom. My dad had come to know something to be true and in a passing moment he was able to instill that into his son. He was able to pass on that wisdom in a way that has stuck with me ever since. And I'm convinced that my dad didn't just say that because it seemed like an encouraging thing to say at the time, not because he might have read it in the newspaper that week, but because he had come to know of its truth through experience. He had seen and discovered the power of making his own choices and choosing his response and wanted me to be released to have that same level of freedom. Let's take a look at James chapter 1, verse 5. It says, If any of you lack wisdom... You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. I love this. If you lack wisdom. That's interesting. You might not. You might actually already have it. But in the event that you find yourself in any season of life lacking wisdom, which that's all of us, we all wish we had a bit more wisdom, then God's saying you can ask Him and He will give you more. 
Wisdom, therefore, I think is something that we can both acquire through our own experiences and by observing the experiences of others. And yet at the same time, God says, and you can ask me for more and I will give you more wisdom. Maybe you've heard this, a wise man learns from his mistakes, but an even wiser man learns from the mistakes of others. And I think that that statement there, it's a little quote, maybe you've heard it, it's wisdom in and of itself, is a good piece of foundational knowledge for us as we prepare ourselves to jump into the book of Proverbs. See, the word proverb, you might have an understanding of that outside of a biblical context. It's not a word unique to the Bible, but in its simplest form, it just means a wise saying. Maybe you've cracked open a fortune cookie before. Maybe you've heard of one of the famous Chinese proverbs that have been inspiring. Maybe you've just been scrolling through Facebook and you've come across an inspiring quote that seems to have just captured you differently. It's like it speaks to your soul and helps you make sense of life a little bit more. See, wisdom, though, is definitely different from knowledge. And it's important that we understand the difference. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 11 and 12 says, For wisdom is far more valuable than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with it. Man, I desire some pretty amazing things, and yet that doesn't compare. I, wisdom, live together with good judgment. I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. That's cool. So wisdom keeps company with good judgment, with sound knowledge, and with discernment. What's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? I read it like this. I thought this was perfect. It says, knowledge understands that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom knows not to put it in a fruit salad. Knowledge understands that people need to know the truth, but yet wisdom knows that the way in which that truth is delivered will determine where they even receive it in the first place. Knowledge understands that your house will probably never burn down, but wisdom says it's worth having insurance regardless. Knowledge understands that recreational drugs are actually bad for our bodies, and yet wisdom understands that an addict shouldn't be cut off cold turkey, that there's a process there. Uh, Wisdom might be defined like this. It is uh, the best collective insight that we have on the application of that knowledge. And the book of Proverbs is this fascinating compilation of wise sayings, phrases, examples, and illustrations that have been gathered together in one place. But what sets the book of Proverbs apart from other gatherings of wise sayings, as true as those sayings may be, is that in the book of Proverbs, we find revelation and realization from people that loved God and stayed devoted to Him in the midst of their turmoil. That's the sort of wisdom that I want. I don't want to just know how to take good steps when life is going well, but I want to know how to take that next step that's right in front of me in a God-honoring way when it feels like everything's falling apart. I want the sort of wisdom that makes sense when I feel like I'm in my darkest hour. And so the book of Proverbs contains human insight, discernment, judgment, and knowledge, and yet God has included it within Scripture. This is this beautiful mix of a God-inspired human-authored Bible. You get a sense that these people that we read about, King Solomon and some others that wrote the book of Proverbs, that they were learning from their experiences. They were learning from the experiences of others. They were doing their best to try and live according to God's word. And from that, they penned these words of wisdom. And God gives them his seal of approval by their inclusion in Scripture. Now, they aren't necessarily from God. And yet God desires that we read them and heed to their advice. So from the beginning to the end, (laughs) Proverbs has 31 chapters. And throughout these 31 chapters, what you notice is that these Proverbs are speaking about people that fall into three different categories. Now, I know we don't like to be boxed in. That's not like what we like to do. But it's probably true that all of us fall into one of these three categories. And it might be that in different seasons, we find ourselves in a different category. The first group of people that the book of Proverbs talks about is the fool. I pity the fool. 
There are people uh, that just lean on their own understanding. They think they have all the answers. They think that they're wiser than everybody else around them. They don't seek God, and they sometimes blatantly rebel against God and His Word. That's the fool. The other group of people that the book of Proverbs talks about is the simple. These are people that they're just easily led astray, and they don't really pay attention to the deeper realities of life. They sort of just drift through life, making some unnecessary mistakes, and they miss out on the beautiful insights and revelation that God can offer. And then thirdly, the wise. I hope that's where we could find ourselves. Proverbs defines this as someone who walks in righteousness and the fear of God. To walk in righteousness requires taking steps. You can't walk without taking steps. And so wisdom, therefore, is dependent on application. So you can know what is wise, but I think to then not take action just reveals that perhaps it was just knowledge and not wisdom because wisdom prompts action. In the book of Proverbs, it starts out with nine chapters where a father is addressing his son. Assumedly, a proverbial father, a proverbial son in the book of Proverbs. But it starts in chapter one, verse one. Let's read this together. It sets the tone for what the whole book is about. It says, these are Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple knowledge and discernment to the young. And so in these first nine chapters, we've got this father addressing his son, and he talks about things like avoiding paths of evil, like about staying focused on the path that God has set us to walk, about loving your wife or your husband, loving your spouse with everything that you've got and loving them alone, like actually being practical in the way that we remain faithful. Talks about developing a strong work ethic and dealing honestly with people. And so that's the first nine chapters. And then we move to this big middle section, which is kind of like just a big compilation of comparative but simplistic wise sayings. Things like lazy people are soon poor, but hard workers get rich. Hatred stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offenses. If you repay good with evil, evil will never leave your house. And then the book closes with a series of chapters on a mother addressing her son. I assume it's the same son. I think the dad gave it a crack and mum has come back to finish the job. <laughs> it's fair to say, I think, that we all want to live wise lives. We want to know the knowledge, the judgment and the discernment to do what is right in the eyes of God. After all, nothing we desire could possibly compare to having wisdom. And so I think it's important that to start with, we've got to be willing. And if you're taking notes, write this one down. We've got to ask ourselves this question. What would wisdom say? Man, I got a family drama that I need to sort out. Okay, what would wisdom say? I'm trying to develop and build my business. What would wisdom say? I find that right now my friend group is moving in a different direction from me. I don't know how to navigate that. What would wisdom say? I got a few things to share with you this morning that I think wisdom would say to us and believing it's gonna be helpful for you. The first thing is this, wisdom would say that your response matters. Wisdom would say that your response matters. Now, have you ever left an argument uh, maybe you might like to use the word discussion, um, and you've left that thinking, oh, I could have said this. I should have said that. Maybe I should have remained more calm. I, I wish I'd come up with that question in the moment. You know, how we respond to different people and circumstances has a massive effect on the opportunities that we're given, the rooms that we're invited into, and ultimately the influence that we can have. And we've all been in situations where uh, in the heat of the moment, we said something that was maybe quite offensive in order to get a point across. Maybe we've shared details we actually realized we didn't have permission to share. 
Maybe we felt prompted to say something in the, in the name of fitting in for the approval of others. And the hardest thing about avoiding these problems is that by the time you find yourself in the situation, it's too late. Our response or lack of response can be a huge open window into our character, our maturity, and our, our competence. And cleaning up the damage of a misplaced response can often be a massive task that could have been easily avoided. Check this out in Proverbs 18, 19. It says, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. And so the main thing we need to consider when facing a person or a group or a circumstance is this. What is the outcome that matters most? What do I need to get out of this? What is important that is understood? What is it that is important that is heard? What is the outcome out of this that matters most? I love this quote. If ever faced at a crossroads where you could be right or you could be kind, always choose kind. Wisdom says, hey, why don't we fast forward a bit and anticipate what our response might do? It's the difference between a reaction and a response. See, a reaction is decided in the moment. Even Newton's third law says every action has an equal and opposite reaction. But as Christians who are meant to have the mind of Christ, wisdom would say that we shouldn't react, but we should come in with a considered response. See, wisdom isn't that moment right before the decision. Sometimes we think it is. But wisdom is the anticipation to know that that decision is inevitably coming. That we are looking ahead to not be surprised as much as the circumstances of life. You know, in the book of Daniel, you've got Daniel and a whole bunch of other young men that are being drafted into the king's service in the palace. And Daniel already knew what God had called him to. And in his particular context, that was not eating certain foods. And Daniel didn't want to wait to get to the king's palace, have the food put in front of him, and then react to what he saw. He knew that if that happened, he might end up eating the food. And ultimately, that's not what he knew he was called to. That's not what he wanted to do. And so the Bible says that he determined in his heart not to defile himself before the Lord. See, wisdom had him anticipate the temptation and make a decision while he was still in a good state to do so. Not many of us are wired to make excellent on-the-spot decisions. You know, maybe you've heard this one, that you will become the sum of your five closest friends. Like if you want to know what your life is going to end up looking at, just look at the five people that are closest to you and that'll give you a pretty good indication. Well, this one again is about anticipation. It's like, I'm certainly going to become someone. And I can make decisions now. I can look ahead. I can see the path that I'm on and I can make decisions and alterations and adjustments now to, in order to change the path that I'm going down. See, wisdom is what I do today with tomorrow in mind. Wisdom is what I do today with tomorrow in mind. And in the very first chapter of Proverbs, King Solomon, he wants to appeal to us of the importance of our response. He says in verse 10, he says, My child, if sinners entice you, turn your back on them. That's not so much a have nothing to do with them, get them out of your life, don't interact with them, but don't have company with people that entice you into the wrong things. The, the scripture goes on to say, run, like run for the hills from people if you find yourself being enticed into the sinful way of life. If you don't, you're going to be sucked in. Our response really matters. And so what are some considerations? As we look forward, okay, cool. So I'm not gonna be surprised at the circumstances of life. I'm gonna predetermine my response. What are some considerations as we prepare ourselves to do that? Well, the first one is this, you can't take your words back. It's like brushing your teeth, right? The, the age old saying, like once the toothpaste is out of the tube, you can't put it back in. Don't try, I've tried, it's not good. I, I wanted to put that to the test, it was bad. You can't put it back in. 
It doesn't matter. When you speak words, if you immediately apologize, it doesn't matter. If you immediately say, I take that back, it doesn't matter because the sting of your words can often be so irreversible. And But what does that lead us to conclude? That we should be slow to speak and quick to listen. That once the words are out, they can't go back in. So let's be a little more selective on the words that make their way out. Proverbs 17, 28 says, even fools, remember that group of people? They are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouth shut, they seem intelligent. And so holding our tongue and not just blurting things out is what wisdom looks like. So that first consideration when predetermining our responses, you can't take your words back. Second consideration is this, you're not as strong as you think you are. I'm not here to discourage you, but I'm just here to be real. I'm not as strong as I think I am either. We all long to be accepted and to fit in. And it doesn't matter how strong or spiritually mature you are. There are some things in life that we should not allow ourselves to make the decision of in the moment. I will not allow myself to make the decision in the moment after my rugby game to have a shot at the bar in the rugby club with my team. I have predetermined my response. They don't even have to finish asking the question before I already have the answer. I will not decide in the moment when one day uh, our little boy who's a teenager maybe starts to sneak out of home and I catch him in the middle of the night. If I wait till that moment, he's going to get my reaction. But wisdom says that my response matters. And so then I have to ask myself, what is the outcome that I want most? Let me think now about what my response might be. Now, I'm not there. I've never been there. I don't know what that's like. I've, I've been the teenager. I know what's going through their mind. Um, but that probably will happen. That'll probably happen to many of us. Teenagers, don't even get silly ideas in your mind. You stop that. Don't you smile. I see you. Don't do it. I know your mother. You'll be in trouble. <laughs> but I could think now about what my response would be because what do I want to achieve in that moment? Do I want to give them a piece of my mind and then they just put a barrier up and figure out a way to do it more sneakily next time? Or do I want to build a bridge? Do I want to build trust? Do I want to build a relationship where maybe they might feel okay and more comfortable asking me next time or actually being okay to honor the rules that I have? See, if you wait and you don't anticipate the realities of life, you will inevitably find yourself reacting only to regret it later. Wisdom understands that certain things will happen in life, but is willing to decide a response before we get there. Third consideration is this, self-control is admired. You know, the people that we look to and admire the most are those who aren't swayed by the emotion of a circumstance. They seem cool under pressure, calm in the storm, calculated in their response, and confident to move forward. Now, I know as much as the next person about an agitating sibling. Oh, their character building. I know as much as the next person about a family member that just won't listen or a friend that keeps making the same mistakes despite our advice. But if we raise our voice, if we immediately become frustrated, if we attack their character, not only are we not being helpful, but we're creating a divide between us and them. We're breaking down trust. And whether right or wrong, these people will no longer look at us as someone who can be trusted to respond in a good way. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer deflects anger but harsh words make tempers flare. So look ahead and consider the possibilities. Decide in advance, at least in principle, what your response might be when these inevitabilities of life come your way. It's okay to take a moment to pause, to gather more information, and then choose your tone. It's okay in some situations actually to not respond at all and to come back when you feel like you're in a better position to do so. 
I mean, imagine you walk around the corner, you're at home and your toddler has caused a hurricane in the kitchen or they've drawn all over the walls. Like, I, I can't wait. Um, 20 more seconds of pause, consider, taking the information probably won't make the kitchen any worse, but it's going to make your response a whole lot better. Better yet, decide now what you're going to do in advance when that inevitably happens to you. I love what Viktor Frankl, a survivor of the Holocaust, said. He said, the one thing you can't take away from me is the way I choose to respond to what you do to me. The last of one's freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance. Things are going to happen. Sometimes because uh, they are the result of our own actions, sometimes things are just going to happen to us. But the one thing that we maintain control of is our ability to choose. And wisdom would say that your response matters. Second thing today is wisdom would say that the small decisions matter. I think one of the greatest mistakes that we make in life is that we undervalue the journey and we glorify the destination. And as a result, we neglect doing the journey well, which can often lead to us never reaching the destination in the first place. When in the Bible, Zerubbabel was starting to build the temple, he was beginning the work to rebuild the temple of God. It says this in the book of Zechariah, chapter 4, verse 10. It says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Don't underestimate the value of doing the small things well. See, small things build skill and competence. Small things are the foundation of your character. Small things are a test to your potential in handling big things. You've probably heard the saying, big things come in small packages. I think of Nyla, our worship leader. That's a big thing in a small package, like a powerful pocket rocket, but you're in a small package. Look, the largeness of your future will not present itself in one massive opportunity, but most likely in hundreds of little ones along the way. And this is why Jesus tells us that it's only those that are faithful with little things that will be entrusted with the big things. God has the ability to look ahead, to scale up your character and look at the trajectory that you're on. See, if you can't deal honestly with $100 worth of income, then you're going to cause a whole lot more damage when you're entrusted with $1,000 of income. If you can't take care of and honor your humble little rental property, then you might squander and waste the opportunity to own your own home one day. If you can't prioritize turning up to things, then what other compromises might you make on things with greater significance? I read a book a little while ago, uh, which that's a miracle. Um, but it, it outlined this amazing strategy of this manager when interviewing people for a job. So what happened is they set this up and uh, the person would come and, and be waiting out in the foyer before entering the manager's office and they would be given a can of drink. And soon after they would be invited into the manager's office for the interview and they would bring the can of drink with them. Well, the interview was quite lengthy. So over time, the can of drink ran dry and the can en ended up on the manager's desk. If after the interview, the applicant got up and left without taking the can away, it was an immediate no from the manager. You might say, well, that's a bit extreme. Like that's a bit pedantic, but it was the small act of not taking responsibility that gave the manager an insight into what that person would be like when trusted with more. If they can't take responsibility for removing their own trash, then they're the sort of person that overlooks responsibility. And in the same way that wisdom would say, hey, your response matters, and so you should look ahead to see what effect your response might have on, on the circumstance that you're facing, so too would wisdom say that we're to consider the enormous impact of the small decisions that we make every day. Building a personal habit of reading God's Word, uh, declaring all of your income and paying all of the tax legally required of you, not cutting corners at work, but determining to do the best job that you can, maybe turning up on time for church, 
to honor God with your worship. Maybe honoring the promises that you've made as parents to your kids. I know we said we we're going to go to the park, but, you know, happen. Maybe we could be parents that would honor the integrity of our words. Maybe speaking up when somebody accidentally charges you at the shops. Uh, I preached about this a while ago. Remember, somebody's oversight is not God's blessing in your life. It's someone who's just made a mistake, and we can do the right thing even when it's the hard thing. Wisdom understands that character is built on momentum. And the quicker you are to make the right decision, no matter how big or small, the easier it becomes to make the next right decision. Uh, Keys, you can join me. That'd be awesome. I want to take us back to Proverbs chapter 1. Right at the start, I read it. I want to read it again from verse 1 to verse 4. It says, These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple knowledge and discernment to the young. I mean, as we hear that, can we begin to capture a glimpse of God's heart for us? He desperately wants you to live a life that is disciplined and successful. He cares enough to have orchestrated the collection of some of the greatest wisdom in the world so that you could avoid making some unnecessary mistakes and make the most of this gift of life that you've been given. You know, one of the greatest expressions of wisdom is our ability to make the right decision in any given moment. That's usually the context we find ourselves right when wishing we had more wisdom. It's how do I make the right decision? Well, Proverbs 9.10 says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Making excellent decisions starts with making the most important one of your life. How will you respond to an invitation to build a relationship with a God who loves you and made you? Don't react. Don't just do it out of emotion. Don't just follow the crowd, but take a moment to pause and consider what is actually happening here. God sent His Son, Jesus, to die on a cross so that you and I could have the debt that we owed wiped clear. Jesus took that punishment of sin onto Himself, onto a cross, and He died a death He didn't deserve so that you and I could live a freedom that we never paid for. And the start of all wisdom in your life is first understanding the graciousness, the powerful nature, and this life-changing ability of this decision to know the God who made you. In all things, our response matters. But for some people in this room right now, it has never mattered more than this very moment. How you respond to Jesus will determine the course of your life and the destination of your eternity. I'm gonna pray a simple prayer. I say simple because it's not complicated and we don't need to overthink it. But then it's complex and that the result of this prayer, if you were to pray it honestly, is that your entire life and your eternity are transformed forever. Don't respond. Don't react rather just out of emotion. Like I want heaven, I want to know God. True, but I need you to know what that means. I don't want you to just make a wishy-washy decision only to back out of it again later. That's not what Jesus is after. Jesus didn't kind of half sort of die on a cross, kind of half rise again, but He went all the way and all the way back up to get all of you. And I want to invite you to pray a prayer today where you would say, God, I'm all in. I don't have every answer. I don't know what the end of my path looks like, but I do know that I want this next step to be in step with you and I want you to be there with me. God wants to make you brand new. Bible says that every single one of us have sinned. 
We've chosen ways that are against God's ways. We've thought we've known it better. and We've tried to do it in our own strength. God sees that and He's not threatened by it. He saw it coming. He anticipated what you might do. And in anticipation of what you might do, He already had a plan. And He sent His Son Jesus to die on that cross. Because all of us have sin and that sin, the Bible says the punishment for that is death. So all of us owe death. That death must be paid. In the Old Testament, they gave an animal in its place, a sacrificing of a lamb. The Bible says that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is our ultimate sacrifice once and for all, never to be needed again. He did it once and that's all that we need. And today, He extends an invitation to you to respond to that, to say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want the slate white clean. I wanna be broken free from the bondage that sin has had in my life. And I want an eternity in heaven with you. I wanna invite everyone just to close their eyes right where you are in your seat. I'm gonna pray this out loud and I invite you to pray this in your heart. I'm aware that you're in a crowded room, but this is a very personal invitation between God and you. He loves you so much. He's on your side. And He wants to continue the rest of this journey with you. I'll pray this out loud. You pray this in your heart. Say, Dear God, I acknowledge that I've sinned. I've tried to do it in my own strength. And God, it's been hard. But I'm hearing this good news that You sent Your Son, Jesus, to a cross for me. I believe that He died on that cross and that He rose again so that I could have freedom, so that I could have forgiveness, so that I could know You, God. And so today I turn from my old life of sin. I tend to a brand new life with you. I ask you, God, to lead me and guide me in there, to bring the right people around me. I pray, God, that you forgive me and I thank you that you do. In this moment, I choose to give you my whole life holding nothing back. 